This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Week one, we kind of established what guardrails are. We talked about the imagery of guardrails and driving and how they, you know, they keep you on the straight and narrow. They keep you in the safe zone. They protect you from, you know, falling off a cliff or driving off a mountain or whatever the case may be. And so we said in our lives, these guardrails can be defined as a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. A personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. When I say that, what I mean is that we draw a line and we say, okay, I'm not going to cross that line behaviorally. Like, that's not something I'm going to participate in. That's not something I'm going to do. That's not something that I'm going to, you know, put myself around or be involved in. And then when we get close to that area, it beca- our conscience begins to sort of light up and say, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, danger zone, danger zone. You're getting close to where you said you don't want to go. You're getting close to being where you don't want to be. And so we said these guardrails are just imperative for our faith journey and our walk through life. Last week... We got a little more personal with it, and we said, okay, how do these guardrails apply to our friends? Because friendships are so vital and so important, and they're such beautiful relationships in our lives, but the things that make them so beautiful also make them very, very potentially dangerous. And so we said last week that your friends will impact and influence the direction of your life. And it's not just little kid stuff. It's adult stuff, too. Your friends will impact and influence the direction of your life. And I, I, I referenced last week's talk probably three or four times this week in talking to people saying, hey, who are you allowing to speak into your life? Who are you allowing to have influence on you to make that kind of decision or to, to take that path? Do you think that's really the best idea? Look at who your source is, who you're allowing to influence and speak into you that way. And so we talked about how important friendships are and how important it is to establish guardrails in our friendships and in our uh, relationships like that. So today, week three, <laughs> this is one of my favorite weeks of this series. Today, we're taking a look at guardrails as it relates to sex and intimacy. Mic drop. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I'm so pumped. As soon as I said that, I even saw some of you go, did he just say what I think? Did he just say what I think he said? Yeah, that's what I that's what we're talking about today. Sex and intimacy. See, I love talking about sex and intimacy in church. I really do because I feel like for so long, for so long it was quieted, it was hushed, it was pushed under the rug, it was taboo. Like we blush and we're like, oh, I can't talk about that in church. And it becomes this like super awkward thing. And so the church is not talking about it, but culture's not being quiet about it. Right? And so we're getting all of our information from elsewhere rather than kind of talking about it here in our faith community. And so um, as we'll see today, guardrails in our, um, you know, romantic relationships and our, our sexuality and our intimacy and all that stuff, guardrails are super, super powerful. And they're super impactful. And they're super, super important for us as Christ followers. And so in youth group, um, I, many of you guys know I was a youth pastor uh, for probably five or six years before... Uh, I became a lead pastor, and in youth group, it was great. I would know what we were going to talk about that night, but the kids wouldn't, and so I'd set up the night this way, and I'd say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do something different tonight, guys. We're going to do something cool. So what I want you guys to do is I want you to say, guy, girl, guy, girl, guy, girl, guy, girl, throughout the whole room, right? And so they're all sitting, you know, all the guys are sandwiched between two girls, and all the girls are sandwiched between two guys. It's perfect. And then I'm like, all right, we're talking about sex tonight, and they're all like, 
And like, but they can't get too awkward because they're like, oh, I got to act cool. This is weird. This is so awkward. Oh, my gosh. And it was great because then I didn't have a bunch of guys in the back corner being like, did he just? And I'll have girls over here going, you know what I'm saying? So I I thought about doing that with you guys this morning, but then I thought, eh, probably not a good idea. You know, I'm going to, we'll avoid that today. But um, I love talking about it in youth group because every time I would say something, their faces would turn like blood red, right? Like, and they get super, super, super awkward, and they get squirmy, and they'd be like, oh, man, oh, I can't believe he's talking about this right now. Or they get super embarrassed and awkward. And then when I got up to adults, you know, things changed when I started talking about sex. No, they didn't. You guys are doing the same exact things. Your faces are red, you're squirmy, you're like, oh. So this is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time uh, this morning. But all joking uh, aside, for real, though, sex and intimacy and, um, you know, romantic relationships, those need the most hardcore guardrails. They really do. They need the most hardcore guardrails. They need the, 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 the reinforced steel of boundaries and guardrails. I mean, they, they really, really do. Because, I mean, in every area of our lives where there's desire, we need guardrails. You know? In every area of our lives where there's desire, we need guardrails. Um, but, but in this particular context, it's ultra, ultra, ultra important. And um, I, I think that we can fully recover from really any, most kinds of disasters, right? Most kinds of disasters we can fully recover from, like a, a financial disaster. You find yourself in the middle of a financial disaster and you're like in debt up to your eyeballs or you're in trouble financially or bankruptcy or ruin and you lost all your money and all this stuff. The reality is with enough discipline and enough time and effort, you can fully bounce back from that. You can recover from a financial disaster. And then later in life, it ends up being this kind of thing where it's like you can kind of laugh about it a little bit, you know, and you can learn from it, and you can talk to your children and teach your children about it, and you can ultimately fully recover from a financial disaster, right? Same thing with like an educational disaster. I know many people who have like flunked out of school or got kicked out of school or whatever, and they thought college meant party as hard as you can, not go to class. And so you, you hear about these things, and, but there's ways to come back from that. You can take extra credits. You can write extra papers. You can go to summer school. You can work really, really hard, and you can fully recover from that. And later it becomes a great story that you tell your kids someday. Oh, yeah, when I was a kid, man, we went hard. Or maybe not your kids. Maybe it's dinner party talk. I don't know. Or there's professional disaster, Right? We can bounce back from professional disaster, losing our jobs or, or you know, getting fired or getting kicked out or a merger takes place and there's no room for you and you got to start, I mean, you can get another job. You can work hard. Uh, you can bounce back. You can fully recover and then later it becomes a story you tell at dinner parties, you know. Oh, I was doing this and then, oh, I was at the bottom, but, you know, started at the bottom. Now I'm here. You can write rap songs about it. You can do all kinds of stuff with that, right? You can, you can bounce back from that. But when it comes to the area of sexuality, those are stories that we, no one really ever laughs about. You know, when you talk about these, these sexuality things and these, these disasters that happen rela- within our intimate relationships and things, that's not something that you talk about at dinner parties and laugh and joke about. That's not something that we look back on with fondness and say, oh, man, yeah, remember, remember when that, that happened, you know? So if there's any area in our lives that we really, really, really need to put into place some guardrails and some boundaries and some protective measures, it's this. Because the damage... From, from a disaster in this area can follow us throughout our lives. You know, the, 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 the memories can follow us, the guilt, the shame, the, um, you know, the, 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 the thoughts, all this stuff, they can haunt us and follow us the duration of our lives. You know, like I said, everything, every area that we have desire, 
we have to requ require guardrails. Same with, with money, right? We desire money. There needs to be guardrails and parameters for the way we handle and, and use our money and the way that it affects us and the way that we use it, right? Same thing with food. We desire food. There needs to be guardrails and parameters with our food. Well, it's the same thing, especially with intimacy and sexuality. And so some of you are in here thinking, as I'm setting this up, you're, you're in here thinking, okay, if you're in here and you're married, you're thinking, I'm married, man. This, is, this stuff's for single people. Like, this is not for me, the, the, the whatever. And then the single people are in here thinking, man, th this is not for me. This is for, like, the dating and engaged people. And then the dating and engaged people are like, dang it. Why are we talking about this today? This is going to be awkward, right? But the reality is, listen, the reality is this is for all of us. This is for all of us. This is for single people. This is for dating people. This is for engaged people. And this is for married people. It's for all of us. We all need guardrails in our relationships. And so let's pray together, and then we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians and kind of break it down. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come together and to sing songs of praise and adoration to you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to hang out with each other and, and, and cultivate a community here at Central. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives us, the guidance that it gives us. I pray today that you, would, that you would soften our hearts and that you'd open our minds. You'd make us receptive to what you have for us today. I believe every person can walk out of here different than when they came in as a result of encountering you and your Holy Spirit. God, be with us today as we aim to learn from you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 18 through 20. If you don't have your Bible, you can look up on your phone or your tablet or whatever. Or it will be up on the screen as well. But it says this. This is one of my favorite, uh, this is one of my mom's uh, favorite uh, passages. Except she, she inserted her own version to it, which is interesting. Um, it's, it starts off, flee from sexual immorality. Uh, I think the King James Version might say flee fornication. And so every time I would leave my house, and I've shared this with you guys before, uh, but those of you who haven't heard it, every time I would leave my house in high school with all of my friends, my mom would say two things to me, as loud as she possibly could in her Alabama accent, okay? She would say, be like Jesus, and she would say, flee fornication. Like, she'd say, all right, Samuel, be like Jesus and flee fornication. I'm like, yes, mother, yes. My friends are like, yes, Sam, flee fornication. I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. But it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, flee, set, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So it uses this, this word here, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. It doesn't say, hey, be real careful about the whole sexual immorality thing. Or it doesn't say, hey, watch out for the sexual immorality thing. Or, hey, get as close to the line as you possibly can with this sexual immorality thing, but, but just don't, don't cross the line. No, no, no. It says flee from sexual immorality. That's a verb, and it literally means to run away from a place or situation of danger. So what this is, it's located in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter that this church planner guy named Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, right? And so he's writing these people saying, hey, listen, here's how you have a cool relationship with God. This is how God wants you to live your life and all this stuff. So here's some parameters for it. And so in this letter, he writes to them. He says, listen, flee sexual immorality. Be careful around that stuff. Get away from it. When he says this, when he says flee sexual immorality, 
the believers in Corinth that are reading this letter and receiving this, all of their minds and hearts would instantly go to what we now call Genesis chapter 39. A passage in Genesis 39 where it tells the story of Joseph being sold into slavery. You guys may have heard this, Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Code. Go, 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 Joseph, you know what they say. Go, 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 Joseph, you'll make it one day. You know what I'm talking about? Donnie Osmond? No. Um, Or you've seen King of Dreams? No. You know better than I. No. You know the way. No. Yes, no. You guys need to get saved. Um. So they would instantly think of this story of Joseph. You know, his brother sold him into slavery. He ends up at this dude named Potiphar's house, and he's like the lead servant. And then Potiphar's wife is like, mmm, mmm, Joseph, right? And so she wants to get with Joseph. And so uh, they would instantly think of this passage in Genesis chapter 39, verse 11 and 12, where it says this. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. Talking about Joseph. It says, none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So when Paul writes to Corinthians and says, flee fornication, they or not flee fornication, flee sexual immorality. My mother's creeping in, okay? When, 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 when Paul writes them and says, flee sexual immorality, they would instantly think back and think, oh, like Joseph did at Potiphar's house. Right? They would think that sort of intensity of running away from sexual immorality. They're saying, run so fast that if it means you're running away naked, run away naked. That's how intense you need to be. Joseph has his outer coat. She grabs it, and he's like, deuces. I'm, he doesn't fight her back. He's like, I am gone. I am turning and running the opposite direction as fast as possible. And so when he says to them, flee sexual immorality, this is the imagery that they're thinking of. He's telling them, turn and run as fast as you possibly can. Get away from it. Don't even get close. Don't even explore. Don't even think about it. Turn and run. Even if it means leaving what you got there, take off. But this is not what our culture tells us on the daily. You know? This is not what the world around us is screaming at us at all time. Because culture, what that does is that baits us to the very edge. Right? It says, oh, just come a little closer. Oh, just, just look at this. Oh, just explore this a little more, right? I mean, in our commercials, and our TV shows, and our movies, when you walk through the mall, I mean, it's at the mailers that come in the mail. It's everywhere. And it baits us as close and closer and closer to where we're as close as we possibly can. Culture pushes us to the very edge like that, and then it flips the script on us. When we actually cross the line... And we enter into that danger zone and begin doing, then they mock us and they shame us and they, oh, I can't believe, can you believe he cheated on her? Can you believe she did that? Can you believe, well, yeah, you've been encouraging and coaching us to do that the whole time, right? And they flip the script on us. But this happens so, so, so frequently. Culture tells us to flirt and get close and explore and just kind of dance on the line and tiptoe the idea and, you know, throw out this or that and kind of maybe see what happens and, you know, hey, we're just, oh, it's just fun, it's whatever, right? Culture tells us to flirt, but scriptures tell us to flee. And there's a big difference there. A huge difference there. Culture's telling us to flirt, scripture tells us to flee. So we don't need to be flirting, we need to be fleeing, Right after it says, flee sexual immorality, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? See, this is part of our Christian worldview. This is part of our Christian perspective as a follower of Christ. We believe that when we accept Jesus, 
that there's this like special supernatural way that the Holy Spirit comes alive in us and that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is talking to these Christians there and he's saying, guys, do you not realize that you are, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is sacred. You have God in you. That's a big deal. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is very, very, very special. Don't be so flippant with it. Don't be so whatever, whatever. Don't flirt with it. You need to be fleeing those types of situations. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And then he goes on and he lays out some, some implications. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Basically what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, your body is not just yours. When Christ died for you, God sort of moved in when you accepted that. The Holy Spirit sort of comes alive in you. It's not just you that's experiencing these things. It's not just you that's exploring these things. It's not just you that's involved in these things. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And he's like, do you get that? Do you realize that? He says, you were bought at a price. See, the crucifixion, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he died for us to free us from the bondage of sin, right? That's the way that whole thing kind of goes down. And as a result, we are not our own. And when we live and act as if we are, we're cheapening the sacrifice of Christ. I mean, Paul's dropping bombs on these people. He's like, if you're living like you're in control of all this and you got it all going on and all that, you're cheapening the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That your body is not your own, but that you were bought with a price. And then Paul sort of wraps it up with the main message of the passage, and he says, therefore, honor God with your body. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, the whole context of this, of this passage and this discussion is sexual, right? He says, flee sexual immorality. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You notice what he doesn't do here? You notice that he doesn't spend time defining sexual immorality? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't spend time defining sexual immorality. Well, what counts as sexual immorality, Sam? You know, like, where is that line? What, what, what counts? What doesn't? I mean, uh, is there a different line when you're single than when you're dating, than when you're married, than when you're, I mean, we're engaged now, so we're a little closer to marriage, so does that line get to back up a little bit? Like, can I, can I get a little bit closer, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, we'll figure this thing out, you know? And, hey... It doesn't, it, it doesn't go there. It doesn't define it because, listen, that's not where the focus and attention should be. We shouldn't be trying to define what's sexually immoral and what's not. We shouldn't be spending our time and energy on that. It's not what constitutes a sexual immorality. Rather, the question should be, what honors God? That should be the focus. He says, flee sexual immorality, run away from that stuff. Don't even worry about what's going on, but you need to honor God with your body. That's the goal. The goal is not to avoid the potholes of sexual immorality. The goal is to honor God. That's the idea. That's what Paul is saying here. Sexual immorality doesn't need to be the centerpiece or the focus, because we're fleeing. We're not flirting. 
We're not even hanging out there long enough to be like, well, you see, we weren't actually doing this, that, or the other, so I, it's pretty much okay. No, we ain't got time for that. We're fleeing. We're running like Joseph did out of Potiphar's house. Do you see what I'm saying? The focus should be on honoring God, not necessarily on those things. I mean, in Genesis chapter 39, it didn't give details of what Potiphar's wife was wearing because it wasn't important. It didn't matter. It didn't go through. And Joseph didn't entertain the idea. He wasn't like, Joseph was like, come to bed with me. And he's like, well, what exactly do you mean by come to bed with you? Are you talking like, you know, we'll put on some daytime soaps and you be big spoon, I'll be little spoon, and we'll just kind of hang out and nap together? Uh, are you talking like we're just going to be kissing a little bit, so not that big of a deal? Or like, like, like let's, let's define the terms here, man. Like, let me just consider what you got. That, that wasn't the case. He didn't think about it. He didn't have to define it. He didn't have to, you know, pray about it. Oh, Lord, what should I do here? You know? It, well, it wasn't an issue. My man, she grabbed his coat. He was like, deuces, turn and ran. He's fleeing the situation. And so that's not kind of the takeaway for us today. The idea here this morning that I think we need to walk away with is don't flirt, flee. Don't flirt with it, flee from it. Some of us in here may be considering flirting with it. Some of us may be in the full swing of flirting with it. And we need to back off and we need to bolt. We need to flee, not flirt. And so let me talk just for a minute in here to the single and the dating and the engaged group of people, the, the non-marrieds in the room, okay? Non-marrieds in the room, listen. If you're doing things in your relationship, in the privacy of your relationship that nobody else can see or you don't think anybody else knows about, and it doesn't honor God, stop. Plain and simple. Stop. Oh, but we're not actually having sex. Stop. If it doesn't honor God, stop doing it. The goal is not to avoid sexual immorality. The goal is to honor God. There's a big difference. So if you're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, stop. If you have to debate it or question it and think, well, it's, I mean, it's not really that bad, stop. Does it honor God? Would you do it if her dad was sitting in the room with you? <laughs> Kidney punch, right? Would you do it if his mom was in the room too? If you even have to question that, stop. Because it probably doesn't honor God. If we're being honest and we're being real. Stop. Because here's the deal. Not being, not being married, you need really, really strong guardrails. And the reason you need those guardrails is to protect your future marriage whether it's to that person you're dating right now or not, okay? Those guardrails are super, super important. And here's the deal. Another little tidbit of advice. Establish them now. Don't wait until you're in the throes of passion and hormones to be like, oh, we, maybe we should start a guardrail. Oh, we just passed like six of them on the way to getting to where we are now. And now we're like, you know, all hot and heavy in a makeout session. And all of a sudden we're going to try and get holy and establish some guardrails, right? That's not the time to do it. You're too late, Okay? This is like a preemptive strike, not like a post-remorse uh, type of situation, right? Okay? So if you're dating, non-married, whatever, you need strong, strong, strong guardrails here. Now let me talk to the married people in the room for a second, okay? Married people in the room. Let me talk to you for a minute because you're not off the hook. Sexual immorality takes place 
and takes many, many different shapes and forms and disguises, okay? And guardrails are still super necessary even when you're married, especially when you're married. This is not like, oh, we're married, it's good now, you know? It's whatever, I don't have to think about it. No, no, no. It's still very, 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 very necessary. I've seen way too many marriages dissolve and, and partners be crushed because of the way things went down, right? And so it's still very, very necessary to protect the marriage that you have and establish guardrails. Some simple suggestions. Um, you know, my wife and I have different guardrails that we've placed in, put in place from the time we were married. Even when I was a youth pastor and stuff like that, we just had different things that we said, we're not going to do that. It was a matter, it was, it was a, a, a moral standard that became a matter of conscience that was like, no, we're not going to go there. One of those things is that we don't travel alone in cars with members of the opposite sex. We just don't. And maybe that's for you, maybe that's not for you. Maybe because of work you have to or carpooling or whatever. But for us, that's a personal standard of behavior that's become a matter of consciousness for us. Because we're in the idea of fleeing. We don't want any, I mean, it's not like we're like these raging lunatics that as soon as we get alone with the opposite sex, it's going to go down, you know? It's like, that's not the case. But, like I said, guardrails are not located in the danger zone. Guardrails are two or three feet inside the danger zone. Saying, I'm not even going to give opportunity. I'm not even going to make that an option for me. Does that make sense? We do the same thing with eating meals. We don't eat meals with members of the opposite sex by ourselves. Because that's just essentially a pre-date, you know? We don't do it. Maybe you do, maybe you have to because of work, whatever. Like I said, these are personal. These are subjective. Everyone's going to have different guardrails that they're going to put into place. But for my wife and I, we don't do that. I'm not going to go eat dinner with a female by myself. It's just not going to happen. Not that there's anything wrong or that that in and of itself is a sin. But like I said, we're three, four feet inside the safety zone saying we're not going to get close. We don't want none of that. In a, we are fleeing, fleeing, fleeing. We don't want none of that. No opportunity, no potential, no certain situations that could turn into anything else. We're protecting our marriage. We're protecting our relationship with each other. You know, there's a lot of ideas for guardrails. Don't work closely with, with people that you could potentially be attracted to. Just don't do it. If you're at work and you realize that they put you on a project with like, you know, the hottie bombalati of the office, and you know you're gonna have to be spending late nights with just you and them, probably not a good idea. You know, it's just not. So set a guardrail and say, hey, yo, this is not, mm -mm, I can't, mm, sorry, not gonna work for me, you know? Is it awkward? Yeah. Is it weird? Yeah. But so is it telling your spouse that you cheated on them. That's way worse. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's necessarily going to happen, but why even give it a chance? Why flirt with it? Why even give it a chance? Don't confide or counsel members of the opposite sex or whatever. Like, don't, don't do that. Don't share your personal business with... There's, because here's the deal. Affairs and cheating and all this stuff, these, these major crashes off the road, they don't just leap from, hey, John, at the water cooler, to about brown chicken, brown cow up in a hotel room. Like, it doesn't just go from point A to point Z, right? There's relationship that's established. There's confiding in one another. There's, there's sharing intimate feelings. And, and it's innocent at first, but then it compounds and compounds and compounds. And then you find yourself brown chicken, brown cow, and you're like, what the heck happened? I didn't plan for that. I didn't, oh my gosh. Guys, guardrails on the front end, right? Putting these things in place to protect yourself before they happen. This is like a preemptive strike. And so if it's you and it's, it's your computer that's tripping you up, smash it. 
I know that's a little extreme, and you're like, no, Sam, I'm not going to do that. But, but, but seriously, set some guardrails and some parameters and share them with your spouse. Talk to them about it. Be honest about it. I had a guy come in. Um, I didn't plan on sharing this. I had a guy come in when I was a youth pastor, and he was um, this computer IT guy, and he got on, like, the dark web and was doing some nasty stuff on his computers. And the second he told me, I literally grabbed him by the shirt, took him to my car, we drove to his house, and I took every computer out of his house. And I was like, bro, uh-uh. This ain't, this is not happening. Took every computer he had. He said, and he was willing. He was like, yeah. Because he came to me saying, I don't, want it, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Then let's actually do something about it. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. So if it's your computer that's tripping you up, and that's, set some guardrails. Set some parameters. Take that stuff off your phone. Take that access off your tablets. What, share it with your spouse and have some accountability. Have some talkability. Work through it together, right? If it's, if it's your coworkers that are tripping you up, quit your job. No. It's a little extreme, I know, but, but seriously, set some guardrails. Set some parameters and share them with your spouse. Attack this thing together because, listen, honestly, it's better to not use your computer and it's better to find a new job. It's better to set guardrails on the front end of things than try to pick up the pieces from a major crash. It really is. It's better to do a little bit of work on the front end rather than having almost more than you can handle on the back end. So whether you're single, you're dating, you're engaged, you're married, whatever, to flee this sexual immorality is to honor God with your body to honor God. But in order to do that, we need guardrails. Married people, single people, dating people, engaged people, like everybody. We need guardrails. And so this morning, what I want you to do is, is some of you have already probably began thinking of areas that you maybe need to step back. You may have been thinking of areas that, that maybe at work or whatever, relationships online or whatever the case may be, your time on your computer, whatever, whatever's going on in your world, you've probably already had some things come to mind where you say, yeah, maybe I should kind of step back a little bit. Maybe I should throw up some parameters and some boundaries. Not that you're in the danger zone yet, but you feel yourself having an unction to get close. You know? Maybe you just need to assess your life and say, ma'am, we've been blessed and lucky thus far. We're cruising along. We don't even have any guardrails and nothing's happened. But maybe you need to be thinking about putting some guardrails in place. Because nobody plans to get in a wreck. You know? Nobody plans to crash. But it happens all the time. So if we're intentional on the front end, I believe it can save us a lot of pain, anguish, and suffering on the back end. And so as the band leads us in these next couple songs, I want you guys to do business with God. I want you guys to go to God and be like, dude, where do I need this? And if you already know where you need this, God, how can I get, please give me the strength and the courage to actually do something? Give me the strength and the courage and the audacity to make the changes that need to be made, to take the stand that needs to be made, to have the hardest conversation I've ever had with my spouse, but to be vulnerable honest because it's going to save us in the long run. Maybe some of you need to begin to prepare yourselves for that. But I want to give us an opportunity to respond to God to protect ourselves from the major clash. Flee, don't flirt. Flee, don't flirt. Flee, don't flirt. Let's pray together. God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.